the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. Our phone number is 602-508-0960-602-5080-960. David Dahl, our associate producer, is manning the entirety of the helm today. So uh, thank you, David, for doing that. Why are you waving your Richard Nixon fingers at me? That's what he did when he when he. <laughs> okay, fine. Doesn't mean you're leaving, right? Okay, it's not the getting on the helicopter victory. It's the uh, well, we're going to win victory, right? Yes, it's the running the boards victory. Okay, the running the boards victory. I always get nervous if someone's doing that. Yes. Okay. In regard to the um, the new CDC report out this week on rising depression and suicide ideation among our nation's youth, especially young girls, Ben Shapiro writes this quote. Any society that attempts to destroy all rules, roles, and intermediate institutions laden with traditional values will end up abandoning its children, all in the name of tolerance and diversity. He continues, We have robbed young men of a sense of meaning. We've told them that they need not be providers, protectors, or defenders, and that even aspiring to do so makes them bigoted remnants of the past. Instead, young men are told that they ought to relegate themselves to the role of male feminists, condemning their own toxic masculinity while shying away from the commitments that turn boys into men. We have robbed young women, he says, of any sense of place, time, or purpose. We've told them that they need not seek out a husband, aspire to bear and rear children, or make preparations to build a home. Instead, we've told them that they can run from their own biology, declaring themselves boys rather than girls, delaying childbearing indefinitely, pursuing the things that are supposedly truly important, sexual license, more work hours, sipping wine at brunch with single friends. We have done all of this because children do not lie at the top of our civilizational hierarchy. The interests of adults do. Increasingly, adults in the West see children as either a burden and thus avoid having them, or as validators of their own sense of subjective self-identity, requiring indoctrination into more liberal forms of social organization. And now children are paying the price, close quote. Quite right, and good for Ben. About a week ago, I was pointing out the whole warp and woof of the 1960s and 1970s effort to protect children and support positive gender roles, not to mention feminism, would likely be censored today, all of it as outmoded, outdated, backward, insensitive, bigoted, and hate-filled. After all, that hate part is what is said to and about people like Ron DeSantis, who got the message of the 19. 19- 60s and 1960s, like so many else of us, so many of us did. That's what's said about them all the time: bigoted and full of hate. Think about it, though. In the 1960s, in the late 1960s, we got Mister Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street. A group called Another Mother for Peace (AMP) put out a very popular poster. You can still see images of on bumper stickers here and there, titled. War is not healthy for children and other living things. Note, by the way, 
the organization that did that was another mother for peace, not another birthing person for peace. The next day, the next decade saw the advent of the Children's Defense Fund and pop culture contributions like Free to Be, You and Me, put together by the MS, the Mrs. Found, the Ms. Foundation for Women of Gloria Steinem fame and Marlo Thomas. It was an album that went gold and then platinum and then diamond, one of the 100 highest selling albums of all time. Marlo Thomas, in an interview, put it that it was designed to show that women could do anything, not just be stewardesses, and boys could do anything, not just be airline pilots. The point was not to be ashamed of or limited by your gender. Marlo Thomas and Gloria Steinem, for instance, were simply not afraid to define what a woman was. It was something to be proud of. They would not have been confused by the question of what a woman is any more than would be Helen Reddy, whose song I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar, came out right at the beginning, at, right at the beginning of the 1970s as well. In other words, children, their emotions, their aspirations, their well-being, and the import of them being proud of their sex or gender was the entire effort Today, the effort is not to reaffirm and affirm children being healthy, born the way they are or were, however they were born. It is to change who they are and the way they were born because, and this is where I get confused, either gender and sex doesn't matter or gender and sex does matter and you can change it because it matters so much and limits you so much or disturbs you so much. And at young ages, ages at which children, children, may think they are Superman one day, Batman the next, and Buzz Lightyear the day after that. In other words, at ages when children have such active imaginations that they're not based in reality, but they have no serious knowledge of the most complex or even slightly less complex operations of the world, physiology, biology, or psychology. Let me give two illustrations of the, of the empowerment then that would be considered patriarchal, bigoted, gender-offensive and insensitive and hate-filled today. Here's Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, in 1967, with his song, Everybody's Fancy. Here are the lyrics. Some are fancy on the outside, some are fancy on the inside. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy, Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be mommies. Only boys can be daddies. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. I think you're a special person, and I like your ins and outsides. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. You see what he was doing there? You're okay just the way you are, and so is everybody else. Today, the modern dispensation is you are not, and a surgeon and some pills can change it all. Here's Marlo Thomas from Free to Be You and Me, song called Parents Are People. The lyrics, Mommies are people, people with children. When mommies were little, they used to be girls, like some of you, but then they grew, and now mommies are women, women with children, busy with children, and things that they do. There are a lot of things a lot of do. And then she goes into how mommies can be everything from ranchers to doctors in which her duet partner, Harry Belafonte, weighs in to sing, but mommies can't be grandfathers or daddies, and sings daddies are people, people with children. When daddies were little, they used to be boys, like some of you, but then they grew, and now daddies are men, 
men with children busy with children and things that they do. There are a lot of things a lot of daddies can do. And then he lists a bunch of things daddies can do. And then Marlo sings, but daddies can't be grandfathers. Excuse me, but daddies can't be grandmothers or mommies. Well, that was the message and vector of healthy child and gender and emotional training for about three decades from organizations called the Ms. Foundation, led by Gloria Steinem. What changed? Well, I think the first thing that is obvious was that instead of putting the focus on children and the teaching and training and nurturing of them, the focus was put on what adults thought and wanted. Most of the battles had been won. Few questioned female leadership in any role, whether it be in the C-suites of corporations or the Supreme Court or running for president. Few questioned men becoming nurses or flight attendants or being effeminate in other ways. And gay rights became accepted with a practical snap of the fingers. In fact, on the gay rights front, the things that originators of that movement in the 1980s and 1990s and 2000s were pushing for were entirely opposite what today's progressives are pushing. They said, then, you're okay if you're gay, nothing is wrong with you, and you shouldn't be bullied. This is why those leaders, like Andrew Sullivan, are so offended with the transgender movement and the push to say, well, if you are born a boy and feel like you don't fit the traditional male modeling, you change and change your being a boy. This is nothing short of a neo-Marxist view that man can change nature, in this case, human nature. As Karl Marx put it, human nature is a social construct. As he wrote, quote, the human essence is no abstraction inherent in each single individual. In its reality, it is the ensemble of the social relations, close quote. The human essence is the ensemble of social relations. He would later write in Das Kapital, quote, By thus acting on the external world and changing it, man at the same time changes his own nature, close quote. This is where we get the notion of Marxist liberation movements and terrorism, or the liberating act of violence that Jean-Paul Sartre wrote about in his introduction to Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth, where Sartre states that in the revolutionary violent act, not only is an oppressor killed, but a self is born, is actualized. Anyway, let me not go down that rabbit hole too far here. The point abides. As the ex-communist Whitaker Chambers put it, quote, it is not new, Marxism. It is, in fact, man's second oldest faith. Its promise was whispered in the first days of the creation under the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Ye shall be as gods. It is the great alternative faith of mankind. Like all great faiths, its force derives from a simple vision. Other ages have had great visions. They have always been different visions and versions of the same thing the vision of God and man's relationship to God. The communist vision is the vision of man without God. He says, It is the vision of man's mind displacing God as the creative intelligence of the world. It is the vision of man's liberated mind by the sole force of its rational intelligence, redirecting man's destiny and reorganizing man's life and the world. It is the vision of man once more the central figure of the creation, not because God made man in his image, but because man's mind makes him the most intelligent of the animals. Copernicus and his successors displaced man as the central fact of the universe by proving that the earth was not the central star of the universe. 
Communism restores man to his sovereignty by the simple method of denying God. The vision is a challenge and implies a threat. It challenges man to prove by his acts that he is the masterwork of the creation by making thought and act one. It challenges him to prove it by using the force of his rational mind to end the bloody meaninglessness of man's history by giving it a purpose and a plan, close quote. So what we have achieved here and are achieving apace is adults throwing children out of the Garden of Eden of childhood to foist upon them, to use them, as so many tyrannical movements do, for the purposes of their adult revolutions. Turning children into the frontline soldiers of this new political science here in America when they simply are not ready or ripe for it, as if the phrase age-appropriate means nothing anymore. It took the march of some centuries of civilizational development and even a push from the early progressive movement here in America to appreciate children were not adults and shouldn't be treated as such. It seems it's taken about a half a decade to undo all of that centuries-long work and advancement. And like taking a fish out of water or forcing a human to try to breathe underwater, flailing and frenzy will ensue. Except not because the gills and lungs are being put through an assault, but rather brains. And we are, in the words of Neil Postman, not allowing children to integrate themselves into society without forcing them through trauma. Trauma. Children and the healthy raising of their emotional psych and of their emotional well-being and psyche need requires things like order and consistency and reliability. Not chaos, not confusion. We all know this when it comes to everything from divorce to parental roles and protection, or we did until about five minutes ago. Now they have been put into a gyre or a vortex, turning and turning where the falcon cannot hear the falconer and things are falling apart. The data is now coming in, and yeah, we ought to be following all that science too. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Heather is in Goodyear. Hello, Heather. Hello, Seth. Um, I can talk to you about a million things, but I'm going to stick to the topic. Oh, okay. Well, call back a million times in a row. How's that? I, 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 I could. I get smarter every time I listen to you. Oh, you're to you. sweet to say. I, Thank you. This Marxist transgender ideology that is stomping through our school system... I mean, we can, it's, it's everywhere, but the school system. I have a um, board member in our district that is a 72-year-old man that was just a cross-dresser when his wife died wearing her old clothes and now is a transgender, changes driver's license, and sits on our board. And, okay, everything was good until last year. January 25th, 2022, he went to the House of Representatives Education Committee and decided that he was going to talk against parental rights. And then it just snowballed from there. He went again in July of 2022, and then he was just there a couple weeks ago in January of 2023. And now that his driver's license is changed to a woman, it is actually illegal for him to 
not use the little girl's room. So we've had many board meetings with many advocates and, you know, gays against groomers have come and supported us. And we're, you know, we're concerned. This is a man that is going in little girl's bathrooms. And, you know, he's a, he's a 72 year old man that wears nail polish and heels and it's scary for children. And I'm not being like, you know, a bully about it. I know you're not. I know. That's exactly what I said at the end of my monologue. Children need consistency. They need uh, guardrails. They need reliability. They need order. They need things to make sense. They don't need confusion. They don't need confused terms, confused imagery that leads to trauma and chaos. And I, I, I know you're not overstating it. I've, I've read a lot of literature on a, on a lot of these things for a long time, and I can't tell you how many people have written me very similar stories, Heather, not about your specific one, but schools. Uh, and now we're seeing a lot of this, by the way, in uh, private, I, I guess private is the right word, private, gy- private public gyms, um, you know, uh, private, right. gy- uh, private uh, public exercise studios. Uh, so, right. you know, the speed at which we moved from tolerance, you know, to, to mandate, from tolerance to mandate to, to where we are now – Think of the chaos that is taking place here for everyone to try and appease this one man who, you know, could very well just be left alone if he would leave the rest of us alone. But because he won't, because he wants to mandate and foist upon us whatever he's going through, he is creating chaos. Chaos. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the chaos then leads to, like, going to the media and— Locally, having a spotlight on him, sure. saying that these certain groups are bullying him, attacking right. him. Right. But, but it's no, it's disagreeing and not wanting our children to have something that is actually a pedophilia thing at the end of the day. I mean, you, you have a gay flag it, that represents sexual activities in so many different ways. Like, where, how, how did we get here? Well, I, you know, I, it's 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 a long it's a long story and it's a short story. It's a long story because of what the progressive left has done, the neo-Marxist left has done in our education institutions, and then they've created this dialectic. Whenever whenever someone raises an eyebrow like yourself or blows a whistle, uh, what then happens? It's the dialectic. Uh, the press and the media and the civil rights and civil action groups will deny that it's happening. They'll say you're overstating it. And then when more and more people get involved and start exposing that we are not overstating it, the stuff is actually happening, they begin to defend it. And then shortly after the defending it, they begin to mandate it. That's, that's, that's kind of how it's transpiring. It's a short and long story because they have long marched through these institutions to implant these flags of Marxist thinking. But it's a short story, too, in the rapidity with which this came at us. Basically, it started in 2017, January of 2017. You know, five years, half a decade, short and long. But don't give up the fight. It's the fight for common sense. It's the fight for civilization. And it's the fight for our children. It's a fight worth having. 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, grandcanyonplanning.com. Great website. That's his website. It's a great way to get in touch with him as well. He is also the host of his own radio show, The Word on Wealth, heard every Saturday morning here at 7 a.m. John, how are you today? Fantastic, Seth. I wanted to ask you about two things going on. One report you said would be coming out, and son of a gun, it did. (laughs) U.S. retail sales (laughs) rebound sharply in January. Tell us what this means for us. Well, it was kind of interesting, right? We, uh, you know, look at uh, the consumers and we're thinking, okay, the economy is slowing down, that uh, growth is slowing down, and we're going to see a lot less spending out there. But the consumer apparently... Uh, didn't get the memo <laughs> because, yeah. uh, you know, I had a 3% increase in retail spending, which was the largest monthly gain in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, with that being said, it's another piece of the data that, you know, the Fed's going to be looking at when they're going to be making their conclusions as to what the next step for them is going to be. Uh, which, you know, after our CPI numbers yesterday, which were better, you know, worse than expected, I should say, in the case of uh, what we're looking for. And then this number, as even though it was better than expected, the increase, again, that bad news, uh, good news is bad news type thing for uh, the Fed. Uh, but with that being said, uh, it really does uh, just raise a question about are we really in a recession when you see uh, the amount of uh spending that's going on from the consumer right now. That's what I was going to ask. And 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 when we keep talking about, as we did a little bit yesterday, the rise in, in so many prices given the inflation, mm-hmm. uh, this really is kind of a counterintuitive thing, isn't it, this this new report? Or, really, or do you yeah. think it's lagging and, and things haven't caught up? I or mean, do you that's... think people are going into debt? I don't know if it got into that. Well, I mean, we did we did see uh, the debt is definitely increasing for individuals out there as mm-hmm. well as, okay. the, as well as the country's yeah, debt. We'll get to that yeah. <laughs> story in a minute, too. Yeah, But um, that's that's probably a, a little both, Seth. Yeah. Uh, but I do believe that when we look at the employment numbers again, we have very, very low unemployment, right. the lowest in 40-plus you know, years. Uh, we have a uh, very uh, high employment rate, which, again, even though we do, we still have more workers that we need. It's hard to find people to fill the jobs that are available out there. So the people who want to work are working. And they want to apparently continue to spend, and that's what they're doing. Yeah, you put your finger on the button. The people that want to work are working. We've got to get to those 7 million men who don't want to work Mm -hmm. somehow and teach them that work is important and good for them. And they aren't helping themselves or or our debt because they're subsisting on government subvention, after all. That's what's keeping them going, that and and, uh, stupid games and drugs. Right. Well, let's talk about another debt. This is kind of interesting. Um Wall Street Journal's uh, got a piece up on it today. Holy smokes, John. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. U.S. national debt has increased by more than $8 trillion since January 2020. Let me just make this clear. When George W. Bush was inaugurated in 2001, our national debt was a total of $10 trillion. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time uh, uh, Obama, well, actually, I have that wrong. By the time he left office, it was a total of ten trillion. By the time Obama left office, eight years later, we were at twenty trillion. Right. <laughs> in two years, we we did in two years we did what Obama did in eight. Yeah, and again, remember what he said. He was 
he was, uh, you know, picking on the former president. Yes, at the right. Time, saying he spent too much. Right. And of course, he way out. He doubled it. Yeah. And now we've got uh, the next the next level of spending here. You know, in, in uh, the pandemic, uh, COVID nineteen, there was three point six trillion spent just yeah. in response to that. Yeah. But of course, now we've had so much more additional spending on top of it. And the challenge is here: we've got Social Security, which makes up about twenty two percent of the spending. Mm-hmm. These are the uh, uh, certain things. We've got Medicare uh, again about uh, 38% of the spending. So really when you look at all of this, there's not much left, maybe a third of our... Um, just under, yeah, Schweiker you know, keeps telling us, just under a third we can play with. For yeah. discretion. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we need to be very fiscally responsible with that discretionary spending. Yeah. And, uh, of, of course, we're, we're not seeing that from our, uh, you know, our people that we've put in Washington. So that's really where I think we need to, as, as Americans, need to really put pressure on them. To make sure that they get become fiscally responsible with that spending. That's our money. Yeah, no, and, and I your think your children's we, money. It's ours. It's your children's. It's not the government's money. Right, and um, and we need to have the government engage in some fiscal policies that allow us to help us grow what goes into it to help these things. John, thank you very much, sir. You bet. Again, if you need help with your financial planning and uh, investment uh, investments, that's what we do. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, member of Finran Sipkin, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC, not affiliated. Go to the website GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Thanks, John. Thank you. You bet. I'm Seth Leibson. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delight to bring back our dear friend Brett Johnson, a partner with the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm, SWLaw.com, based here locally, offices nationally. He's our constitutional and election law expert. Uh, he's a lot of people's constitutional and election law expert. Brett, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me, Seth. Always, always. One of my favorite uh, areas of uh, interest is the First Amendment, and uh, it seems to apply in so many places, and maybe not. In some places, people try and make it apply. I'm not sure if, 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 if that's the correct construction. But when it comes to schools, uh, when it comes to students, when it comes to professors, it opens up a whole new network of analysis. The Ninth Circuit, uh, which is uh, the the appeals, the appellate court that uh, presides over cases that would emanate from Arizona, California, and the, and the Southwest, um, just ruled on an interesting case having to do with public school students and their off-campus speech. Uh, tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, uh, for sure. So. Um, two students, um, uh, Kevin Chen and Philip Shen, um, brought a case against the Albany Unified School District, um, kind of as a follow-up case in California to you might remember the cheerleader yeah. uh, case back yeah. in Florida. Mahoney. So it's been it's been it was Mahoney and it, and it was that was uh, in in 2021. Right. But this case and keeping on these facts and I'll I'll, I'll give you the distinction. Yeah. Um, this case was basically the students set up a, a private kind of a, a text thread where they started making fun, um, some joking originally, and then it got it got worse and worse. And as the court um, identified later on, it was started targeting students and in, in, in regard to racist conduct and harassing conduct and things of that nature. And you know, even though the students believed that the scope of uh, the chat was just with uh, a few friends. Um, in this day and age, the court recognized nothing is really just between friends when you're doing it on the internet. Mm-hmm. And of course, people um, you know took screenshots of yes. it and then shared it with other people. Right. So that's that's the back background. And then it got all the way up to the Ninth Circuit, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously the um, the 
previous case, the Mahoney case that we talked about, the cheerleader case, was a big thing because the, the Supreme Court in that case said, hey, when the cheerleader was off campus and she didn't make the, the varsity team and she had all these expletives uh, about her school, that was free speech. Mm-hmm. And what the Ninth Circuit really kind of honed in on from the Mahoney case is, is that, you know, there's not a blanket, one-size-fits-all concept to the First Amendment and the freedom of speech, especially in this day and age with, with uh, threats to schools and threats to children, bullying, things of that nature. And, and so in this case, because the, the students actually identified students and identified the school, then that was the trigger that allowed um, the school district to take disciplinary action. Again, in the cheerleader school case, didn't identify the school, didn't identify individuals, was just upset about not making the varsity team. Um, so I think that that's going to be a, a major issue. Now, for the wider concept that you talked about, and it was brought up um, in the Mahoney case, and it's, uh, it's been back and forth litigated, is the concept of the marketplace of ideas. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that there has to be something uh, to be contributed by the language into the marketplace of ideas to get some sort of First Amendment protection. I, I do think that that's going to be the Ninth Circuit's kind of um, pigeonholing that there is um, the, the, trying to define what that marketplace of ideas is. It's concerning, and I think that the Supreme Court might provide some clarification, at least as to that narrow issue, but most likely we'll say it's close enough to the school to be able to discipline it. In the meantime, message and yeah. warning to parents know that whether your kids are using their social media on campus or off, you better be monitoring that stuff. Oh, w- 100%. And, and, you know, and as I, uh, every, every year I have a, an annual uh, training for the Boy Scouts where oh, I, I go through and I tell them anything you put on the Internet, you just better assume that it's going to get out. Um, and there's just there's no protections. Um, and And quite honestly, in this day and age when people are taking snapshots, it's, it's going to get out and people think they're funny. And I tell this to clients who are older, not just Boy Scouts, you think you're funny, but you're, you're really not. And, and it could be considered a threat. And especially if it's going to be targeted towards an individual or a school, there's ramifications outside of the First Amendment, not just school discipline you got to worry about because there's, there's other, other laws that you have to be concerned about. Would you give that training on air to the audience? Not right now, but would you? No, I'm <laughs> A serious right. question. Would you do that for the audience one day? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I, I would, you know, go, go, go through all the bullet points. I would love it. I would, I would love yeah. that. We'll do an extended segment and do that. Let's yeah. take it up a notch. By that, I mean to higher education, because the conflict almost arose here. It didn't, but it almost could have. At ASU over the past few weeks, as you well know, uh, Dennis Prager and some others were invited to speak, and a group of professors, nearly 40 professors, wrote a, a strong letter of condemnation, a very strong letter of condemnation to the dean of the Barrett Honors College, ta- talking about how offensive these speakers were. And it had a lot of uh, – raises a lot of questions about what 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 is a First Amendment right for a public university to allow on its campus? What is the First Amendment right of professors to speak publicly out against it or for it? It raises a lot. It's not a clear-cut situation all the time, is it, when it comes to public employees? 
No, it, it doesn't. Not just public employees, but people who are being invited to um, enter the public space right. and, um, and and speak. And yeah. I think that that one of the concerning issues, definitely with with that letter and how it, it was it was responded to, um, is is actually going back to the Ninth Circuit opinion, mm-hmm. which talks about the marketplace yeah. of ideas. Because right. what these professors were essentially saying is the invited guests, who by the way are pers- either uh, you know one of them, Dennis Prager, is a personality, yeah. another individual, a young person who's um, involved in getting young people politically engaged, um, but that because of previous statements by those individuals that they that those statements did actually did not contribute to that marketplace right. and so therefore the university shouldn't provide um, a, um, a platform and and a, that's where it gets an issue Who, who's defining that marketplace mm-hmm. and and you know if it comes down to a, a, a court obviously you can't be doing threats and um, acts of violence or or things of that nature but when you're trying to put out even if it is offensive and something that you and I may never agree with the idea of that being actually put into the the marketplace of ideas is is one of the founding fathers essential elements mm-hmm. because i guarantee you the british did not like what the founding fathers were saying yeah it's a good point it's a very yeah. good point and, and i'm going to guess too if i can that the founding fathers would probably like what dennis prager has to say <laughs> just based on how much he praises them <laughs> that, 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 that's right, that's right. And, and, and you know and read, and read his books and, and the other thing about the marketplace you know it's almost a, it's a it's a cafeteria yeah. style. It's yeah. like, I like it when you you're, you're doing apple pie, but when you're you know just serving onions, I don't like that. Yeah. So therefore, you can't do it. And and then you got to be very very careful. And I thought that the university did this, but you know, there's other universities in many contexts who are seeking some sort of kind of committee yep. to determine yep. whether or not this marketplace of ideas is being. And that's that's concerning. Basically, here's my thing, and I know Dennis Prager could probably do. I, I know for sure. I it's not even probably can do it. Dennis Prager can get up in the middle of a, of a conference room. He can give his ideas, and guess what? If you don't like his ideas, challenge him on it. Yeah. And that is what the First Amendment is all about, because the challenger can also has a First Amendment right in a polite, yep. obviously not in a yep. disruptive manner, and they can go back and forth, and eventually they may come to a consensus which is what the whole First Amendment's about. And education and democracy. Brett Johnson, bless you, sir. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. You did a lot in a little time here. Brett Johnson from the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm, swlaw.com. I am Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. You've heard me talk a lot about why refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about investing with them and what it could mean for you, they encourage you to give them a call, and they'd happily put you in touch with any number of their many satisfied customers in the Phoenix area who have been investing with them and doing very well with their returns. Their phone number is 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Do you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. Investyrefi.com. Uh, credit to David here, uh, the associate producer, my associate producer, for finding this. When we were talking about Fred Rogers and how he would be uh, so out of step 
In fact, if you didn't know it was Fred Rogers and someone gave the talk that he gave, uh, he would be he would be considered a bigot from the ladies of The View. He'd be considered a bigot by Disney. He'd be considered a bigot by so many organizations. David, what's the audio you found? Is this from the Johnny Carson Tonight Show? Yes, from the Tonight Show, dated September 4th, 1980. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Fred Rogers who in 1997 and again in 1999 with the Emmy Awards and the uh, Television Academy Awards uh, Hall of Fame was given standing ovations by everyone in Hollywood whose face you would recognize if you go and watch these awards speeches on YouTube. So here's, here's inter- interesting. Johnny Carson, Fred Rogers, 1980. But the second verse is very important. Now, what's the second verse? Boys are boys from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine, your body's fancy, and so is mine. Because sometimes children think that they might change. They might have to change after a while. And, you know, we laugh about that now. But it's because we had that concern when we were little. Yeah, because you're really not sure, and you thought maybe you'd become a girl, or a girl would become a boy, right? Exactly. And it happens frequently out here. It's a, it's a laugh line. It's a laugh line in 1980. But Fred Rogers took it seriously. He said it's the important part of the song, right? Isn't that how he began that quote? What did he say? Here's, these are, this is the important part? I think that's how he began it. This is the important part, right? This is the important part because kids think they can change. They should be taught they don't need to. That was his point. Kids think they can change. They should be thought. They should be taught. They don't need to. 1997, 1999. That man who said those things and stood for those things. That is to say, emotional well-being, age-appropriate teachings mattered because children and consistency and their psyches and their emotional health mattered, and they shouldn't be used for adult psyches and adults' political and emotional health. All right, got a lot more coming up. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 